Morning, She Shatters and She Burns fans. This is Hannah Austin, your host for the She Burns podcast. I'm excited to announce that my first book, Hello Head, Meet Heart, is now out on Amazon. For more tips, tricks, and ways that you can burn bright and not burn out, visit me on Amazon at Hello Head, Meet Heart. Happy reading! Welcome to the She Burns Podcast, the go-to podcast for women who were born to burn bright without burning out. When you're at the top of your game, the difference between handling the heat and boiling over comes down to the right self-care advice at the right time. And if you're ready to take your seat around the campfire, these interviews with inspiring women will help you keep your flame alive. Hello everyone, I'm Hannah Austin and this is season three of the She Burns podcast. This season's theme is Women Game Changers. And in this episode, I'm talking with Dr. Ann Zink. Dr. Zink had the honor of becoming the state of Alaska chief medical officer in July, 2019. She and her team led Alaska from the first repatriation flight to today through the COVID pandemic. She is looking forward to her upcoming term as the president-elect for the Association of State and Territorial Health Officers. She has special interest using informatics and information to bring together public health and healthcare to improve the health of people we serve. She loves mountaineering and is passionate about community health and engaging providers, patients, and policies to make people healthier. Welcome, Anne. I am so excited that you're here with me today. Awesome. It's really awesome to be here. Thanks for uh, making it happen, despite some challenges in the meantime. Absolutely. So I would love to hear about your background story. Where are you from and how you got started in your career? Yeah, it's an interesting story. Um, I am from Colorado originally. I am the daughter of two physicians who promised that I would never become a doctor. And uh, I didn't listen to that personal advice um, and followed kind of a complex journey, including uh, going to college on the East Coast, dropping out of college, uh, doing some climbing, coming back to college, being an inorganic chemistry and fine arts uh, major, and then was uh, a fellow, part of the Watson Fellowship, uh, traveled around the world, Antarctica, Botswana, Bhutan, looking at the impacts of culture and tourism on environment. And during that time, really fell in love more with health and healthcare and realized it was something I wanted to pursue. Um, so moved to Seattle. In the meantime, I was an mountaineering guide. Um fell in love with a person who uh, also had been a mountaineering guide. And together we ended up going to Stanford where I went to med school, uh, but really decided I loved rural uh, medicine at that time. So then I did my residency in Utah. And after residency, he said, I did three years of residency for you. You can do three years of Alaska for me. Uh, And we had actually met uh, over a gear table up here in Alaska. And so I said, I don't know, uh, but we'll see. So came up here and fell in love with both the medicine and the place and have been been up here now for just over 13 years and thought we'd come for a couple, fell in love with the place and and the experience and um, asked too many questions, ended up in too many meetings until I found myself being asked to be the chief medical officer for the state of Alaska about six months prior to a world pandemic. So that's how I got here. (laughs) 
I love that story. So for you listeners, um, Anne and I are both from Alaska, which is one of the reasons why I reached out to her and said, I'd love to have you on the podcast. She was also recommended by several Alaskans who had who had said, you have to meet this woman. She's incredible. She's such a game changer uh, for what she's doing in Alaska during the pandemic. So let's dive deep into the pandemic, right? So I feel like we're almost, we've said before, we're back to new normal, but then something else happens. So how would you describe your current normal and the last two years and all that you've been through? And I know it's been um, a whirlwind for to say the least. It has been a whirlwind to say the least. It has felt somewhat like being strapped to the front of a rocket ship. Um, you know, things uh, move at warp speed. Um, there's a great quote that I love that things move too slowly until suddenly they move too quickly. And uh, some things continue to move slowly, but some things uh, moved very quickly during that time. So, I mean, it's definitely been the fastest learning curve of my life, of my career. Uh, There's been just a tremendous amount of information and knowledge to watch the scientific community collaborate um, on this challenge has been phenomenal. That's where I I think of myself on the front of a rocket ship watching, you know, stars and amazing things uh, as we're kind of learning and processing. Um, But it's been challenging to explain. Uh, It's been full of tremendous tremendous uh, heartache and loss. I continue to work in the emergency department seeing patients, um, and I see how you can think what system's working one way, and then on the front end, it's not working that way, um, and the gaps within the systems thereof. So it has been it's been full of emotion, full of heartache, full of loss, uh, full of creative ingenuity, uh, full of promise and hope, full of people working together uh, in beautiful and amazing ways. Mm. Uh, Working within the public health teams within the state as well as within other states has been a huge honor. The dedication and selflessness of of state and local public health teams is an unsung hero in this space, and they really deserve a lot of credit. We would have had so many more lives lost so much more uh, challenge had it not been for their tremendous work. And so where we're at now, um, you know, it continues to be a challenge. We'll continue to have COVID circulating with us uh, for, you know, I think as long as any of us are around. Um, It continues to change quickly. Uh, Treatments continue to change. Efficacy of vaccines continue to change. Who's eligible for vaccination continues. Every day, something different. (laughs) Every day, it's something different. But that's also health and healthcare. And I try to remind people that that's the case. We're still learning how to treat a heart attack. We're still learning. Is it better to operate on a, you know, injured spleen from a motor vehicle accident or to watch it? So that's medicine uh, and that's life and our individual human preferences, our cultural societal preferences, as well as our understanding of challenges will all continue to change and evolve, um, but continue to just be as transparent as we can be, share the information uh, that we have, uh, being humble and honest about what we don't have and realizing we're all in this together. We're all, we're all human. We're all trying to figure out what does this mean for the upcoming funeral? And what does this mean for my yeah. kid's school? And, and what does this mean from the overall public health perspective? We're, we're in this space together. Absolutely. It sounds like you're an incredible leader. Are you still in that role or are you, have you shifted to a new role now? So I am still the chief medical officer for the state of Alaska. I joke sometimes that I'm not the chief medical officer of COVID, um, although sometimes it feels like it. Um, so I still do a lot of COVID work-ish. It's a lot of what I think the public knows me for, um, but a lot of my work on the back end has to do with everything else public health related. So um, everything from infectious diseases like tuberculosis and STIs uh, to monkeypox uh, to non-infectious diseases, such as chronic diseases, uh, thinking about 
you know, cancer screening and making sure that diabetes is well cared for and how do we use telemedicine? Mm-hmm. And a big interest of mine is kind of two. One is how do we better incorporate healthcare with public health? I think mm-hmm. over the last 40 years, those have become very divided. And we saw in this pandemic how that divide did not help healthcare. It did not help public health and we are really together. So how do we really build those bridges back together? And then two, how do we make sure that systems support people instead of people supporting systems? Mm -hmm. I see so many times where we've just spent a ton of money and time and effort. And, you know, I, as a clinician have come to terms with the fact that bad things happen to people, that accidents happen and cancers happen. But what I've never come to terms with is the fact that systems that we create and systems that we change continue to fail patients and people. And so what ways can we change those systems that we have uh, power over and control over uh, mm-hmm. to empower uh, better health and better well-being? And, and that's really where I'm focused. I love that. It totally aligns with the messaging of our company, which is basically you have to have total health, right? It can't just be physical. It's got to, you know, emotional, physical, psychosocial, all of those elements. What are you doing to um, charge forward with combining the impacts, right, of COVID. So we know that there's several people who have burned out mental health challenges. People are leaving the workforce left and right. What do you see your role in is as, you know, the chief medical officer, but physician first, right? You said you're working in the emergency room. I know firsthand, you're probably seeing this firsthand of people saying, I have high blood pressure now. I have, I had a heart attack. I feel like I'm having chest pain. Um, You know, I had to quit my job due to X, Y, Z. What do you think is the next evolution of a solve or working towards a solve of kind of bridging those social, emotional, mental, physical effects of health? Yeah, it's another great question. I think of it in kind of two categories. One, I think of the kind of public category. And then one, I think of it kind of like the systems category. So kind of thinking about the systems, you know, we see the workforce burnout rates are just tremendous. We've known that things like suicide rates amongst physicians is twice that of even the military. And that was pre-COVID and pre-pandemic. Most of our communities, the biggest challenge they're having right now is healthcare workforce. We see workforce in general being a challenge, but particularly healthcare workforce. Mm -hmm. And the same is true with public health. There was a big report that was done that looked at the mental health of the public health workforce. You know, I got a call this morning that one of my other key members is decided to, to leave public health. We've been very fortunate in this state that we have not lost many, but they're burnt out and they're tired and they're done. And the public frustration and criticism and even fearing for their safety, I think adds to that yes. as well as the, it's not just the politicization, but the partisanship of, of, of public health, um, I think has been really mentally and physically taxing uh, on a lot of our staff. So what ways can we support them? What ways can we make sure people get a break? Um, you know, the military does a great job of not talking about vacation, but talking about annual leave and mm-hmm. people rotate in and out here in state. You know, we talk about vacation and we don't rotate in and out. So yeah. Well, our team has been the same team throughout this entire pandemic. We've seen, you know, CDC leadership uh, rotate in and out. We've seen FEMA leadership rotate in and out. Everyone else rotates in and out, but we're still here. So how can we build in structures to make sure that people take annual leave, that they take turns uh, and that we have a bench that's deep enough that can support each other so people can take care of their, their physical and mental health so that they can be there to support. So a lot of work is going on in the workforce space. And I worry a lot about that. 
I also think what ways can we make systems work better for people? So instead of having one person enter a COVID positive test into three different systems, yeah. how can we just make yeah. those systems connect to each other? So people <laughs> are able to do the work that they came here to do. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so there's a lot of work on that end. That's very different than kind of the public uh, expectation and thought. One, I think we just um, need to do more to talk about the burnout and workforce space. You just, for example, right now with the pediatric vaccine rollout, you know, people are frustrated that they aren't seeing right away, um, you know, their public health center having vaccine available on day one. Well, we've got almost a 40% vaccine er, uh, vacancy rate of our staff. They're exhausted. They're dealing with STIs and tuberculosis and all sorts of other things. And they would have to cancel those appointments to put other ones. And they've Mm -hmm. got scheduled appointments in two days. So I think we all just having space and grace in that. But then also, as you mentioned, we all own our health. You know, 80% of our health is determined by things outside of healthcare. Yes. And that's our mental health, our physical health, our, you know, nutritional health. And we have lived in the last 50 to 100 years of this golden age of take two of these and call me in the morning and yes. I'll be all fixed. An easy fix. Yeah. Yeah. But it's much more than that. We got to die. We have to take care of our own health. Uh, and that can be then supported by the healthcare infrastructure, but that foundation of our own health is going to be fundamental. So being clear about that, being clear about those expectations, but then Mm -hmm. for example, our state has really leaned into a big uh, campaign this year called healthy you in 2022. Mm -hmm. So what does it really mean to be healthy? Cause if we've got that base, then we'll be more healthy to deal with COVID or cancer or a tsunami or whatever the challenge may be. And change management, I think, is a big piece of that. I mean, I think you've touched on it a lot with your with your responses is really around setting expectations like change is going to happen. Pandemics are going to happen. Um, outbreaks are going to happen. But how are you dealing with that in your own home and as yourself as an individual taking care of yourself on that holistic lens? I'd love to pivot a little bit and to how have you done this? Like how when you look back now and look back two years ago. And look about Anne two years ago and look at Anne today. How have you held this together? How have you dug deep somewhere inside you and said, I'm the leader, I'm charging forward. Um, what have you done to keep yourself sane and reaching towards your North Star? Yeah, uh, that's... I want a real answer. I don't want, I've worked out, I've done this. Like, I want to real... I did not always work out. <laughs> that is for sure not the answer there. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean... I'm human, right? I think of balance like tree pose. You're always just falling over one way. You're just trying not to fall over too far at any one moment. (laughs) Um, And it would be false of me to say that I had some great balance or great, some great, you know, aspect. Because I did feel like I would fall in different directions at different times in that space. I think having support is key. Um, You know, kind of mid-pandemic, my husband was like, I cannot deal with two teenage daughters and you being on that computer from 4 a.m. until 11 p.m. and Alaska winter and our parents getting sicker. So he decided to take them to the lower 48 and live in a van and support my in-laws and his, my parents and his parents and homeschool our kids for a year. So I could really focus on work. So that was a huge sacrifice for all of us to be able to let me dive into that. Um, but then that was falling too far that direction from not having my family. So, so pulling back and being able to now kind of take time with them as well. Great team members within our team. But I think the biggest thing for me 
is I think you have to have your North star. I think you have to have your why, you know, and I had this case in residency that I often think back to in my professional life. And it was an 18 year old. They had gotten stabbed in the chest and they were coming in. It was right before shift change and they lost vitals, right? As they came in, lost a heart rate, lost a blood pressure. And the treatment for that, if someone had a penetrating trauma is to actually open up their chest and see if you can find the cause of it. It's a very dramatic procedure. It's very rarely done. It has a very low survival rate. Um, and the people who would normally be a part of that procedure had left the hospital just beforehand. There was just a lot of those things. A lot of the things you'd expect to work didn't work. Um, long story short, we opened his chest. He had been stabbed in the chest. We were able to clear out the blood. We got his blood pressure back. He did fantastic. He was discharged from the hospital a week later without any complication. And an attending of mine, a lot of people had a lot of criticism afterwards. And an attending of mine said, you know, Anne, you always have to do what's right for the patient and remember that the rest noise. And I think that those guiding words early in my training have been kind of my North star throughout my medical and my professional career in this job and in others. And so when things have gotten loud and noisy and emotional, just pulling back from that and saying, what's going to, what's going to make Alaskans the healthiest they possibly can be. Let me not get focused on the policy or this one thing or that thing, but let me pull back, you know, to that 30,000 foot view, what is going to make us healthy and follow that. Um, and I think that that clarity helped me through a lot of stressful, confusing, hard times. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that I would say is, uh, my husband had taught me actually early on when we were dating, uh, we were going to go climb this peak and it was windy and cold. And I was like, I don't know, it's not good weather. We should do it. And he's like, you always show up for the climb. You don't have to summit. You don't have to go <laughs> up for it, but we'll show up. We'll get to the base. We've already planned this time. We'll show up for the climb. Um, and that's been kind of my personal motto is mm-hmm. I may not have all the skills. I may not know that I can summit. I may not actually do that path, but I'm going to just show up for the climb. And I think too often we don't show up for ourselves Mm. and we don't show up for the challenge. And so when I would be overwhelmed, I would say, okay, just show up for the climb. You may not have the answer. You may not know what the solution to this problem is, but show up and let's figure it out together. And so that has been helpful. I love that. Show up for the climb. I think that should be your on your bumper sticker. Uh, or your a lot of Alaskans, for those of you who don't know, bumper stickers are like all over the car. <laughs> um, tell me a little bit about um your so you've talked a lot about your star and what's held you back and what hasn't, but what has what was one mistake that you feel like you made during this time? Um, that you're like, God, I wish I could have a do-over. Oh, there's so many. Uh, <laughs> I know. There's so many. I mean, the one that immediately comes to mind is really, really early on in the pandemic. I was asked to talk to the legislature and they asked us about masks. And at that time, you know, we didn't have a great understanding of masks mm-hmm. and there was a real discouragement of wearing masks, less at that time from a supply issue, but because we just didn't understand its usefulness. And so I, I made a comment about how it's kind of a wet, moist environment right now. We're not um, recommending it. Nothing like seeing that on t-shirts for the next two and a half years to make you regret that statement. Um, but I think mm-hmm. I, I think that people wanted and still want confidence in your answer. They mm-hmm. want a hundred percent certainty, but we don't yeah. always have a hundred percent certainty. Yes. Um, and I think we we try to message that, but I think I was probably later than I would have liked to have been about mm-hmm. messaging about uncertainties in that space and messaging it in a way that is still hopeful. So yeah. oftentimes I would get like, well, you know, like with vaccines, I remember 
officials and they're like, well, once we have vaccines, this will be all fine. I was like, I, I think we have to be cautious there. <laughs> like they're designed to help minimize high risk conditions like hospitalization and death. This doesn't mean this is all going to just stop and go away. And they're like, why are you always Debbie Downer? Like, how come you're always like, so, like, so there's a balance there about recognizing uncertainty, providing hope and ingenuity without just saying, well, we just don't know. We just don't know or but this or but that. So I think that finding a balance between that, um, is kind of the theme behind a lot of my, um, my thoughts and processes, uh, on what we would have known in the past. People ask a lot about, well, how about closures or how about testing or how about things like that? We didn't know what we didn't know at that time. And there was a lot of unknowns in that space. And so I think it's really easy to come back with a lens now and look back uh, on the, mm-hmm. the different lenses. Here in Alaska, we had very few restrictions. We very initially had restrictions and they very quickly came off uh, in that space. But it was surprising to me how easy it is for, I think, society to get into a perceived vision of constraint. Yeah. If something's constrained for one time that gets extrapolated to all sorts of things that it doesn't exist. And it's really hard to get people off of that perceived constraint. Um, and so I think that would be my other kind of big takeaways that when you constrain something or something's constrained vaccines, testing access to services, how the perception of that will persist much longer than the actual reality of it and how to message that and how to be cautious of that moving into any constrained resource. Sounds like you learned a lot around, I mean, of course we all did right at the beginning of the pandemic versus now at two and a half, three years later, what was your, a moment when you're like, I did it. It felt great. Um, I was proud of myself. I know as women, a lot of times high-performing women, we don't stop and say, I'm proud of myself for X, Y, Z. We move the line further down the line of the next accomplishment, or we don't take the moment to relish or resonate in that good moment. What was a good moment for you? What was a bright star for you? I think, I think a lot of it was around vaccines. Um, I've always known and and believed that people are going to make individual decisions based on their own individual health. And not everyone was going to choose to get vaccinated. We'd have a lot of different uptake. You know, I see people who have heart attacks all the time who refuse care. Like I see people regularly refuse care for all sorts of very rational reasons in their worldview and whatever's happening in their, in their moment. And that's, that's humanity and that's fine. Um, but I felt like it was my obligation to try to provide the resources and tools to allow people to make that choice to keep themselves safe, mm-hmm. be it PPE is for healthcare workers or be it things like vaccines and testing for, for individuals. I think there were a couple moments like that. Um, you know, I remember early in, in 2020, when we were looking at um, other mitigation tools, we really had very little that we were still doing in the state, despite the fact it was still very early on way prior to vaccines. But we had 10 days from the time that we kind of really even thought about and decided to do testing at our airports to completely executing that and doing testing at the airports. I mean, which was a huge lift, like the structural components (laughs) of making that happen was so like when that rolled out, it wasn't perfect, but like it rolled out. And I remember talking to other states and like Hawaii rolled it out months later and they were like, what was your plan? And how did you do it? I'm like, we just did it. Like we just went. (laughs) You have to, you have to, like, we just figured it out. But then I think the biggest one was watching that first couple months of vaccination. Um, you know, the 229 tribes in Alaska got to choose if they wanted to come with us or with IHS. We have the largest veteran population per capita. We have a lot of federal parts that don't fit into state parts. And we all had to work together for vaccines. And for months, we led the nation in the most vaccinated per capita. And what I loved about it is it wasn't 
our team. It wasn't me that was doing the work. It was just that we had helped create a system that empowered others to do the work and to do it in a way that was culturally relevant. And so you get like text with dog sleds taking vaccine out and man baskets between, you know, ships and fairies overcoming weather circumstance. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, it was all these individual Alaskans finding solutions together Mm -hmm. in the wild Um, west or the wild north. (laughs) It was great. It was so fun to, you know, I would just get, I'd see all these pictures and texts and and images. And then honestly, just this past Saturday, I was listening to the ACIP meeting about the childhood vaccine and I got emotional doing dishes. I think my face was wetter than the dishes, but I just felt like, man, okay. Now every single Alaskan has the opportunity to protect themselves from severe illness or death. And that, that felt like a big milestone. And, um, you know, we're one of the lowest deaths per capita um, there have been problems and there have been challenges, but to be at this point and to have that at least as an option across yeah. this country is a huge milestone. Wonderful. Congratulations. I know any leader, any true leader says they couldn't have done it without the team, right? A leader is just a role in the team, right? And I think a lot of people say, um, when, when people ask, what is your bright spot? And it's highlighted on just the individual. That's really not a bright spot. A bright spot is really when everybody collectively can really feel that there's an impact and difference made. So thank you. So this theme is women game changers. And that's one of the reasons why you were picked. I want to hear a little bit about, um, at, this has a, been a pivotal point in your life, right? We know that the COVID changed us all in some way or another, What advice would you give to someone who is at a main crossroads in their life since you just experienced it? And we have a lot of women listeners that are hearing and saying, they're turning into this podcast and saying, I'm burned out. I need hope, which you talked about a lot. What advice would you give someone who's at a crossroads in their life where they're like, I can't even show up for the climb? What would you say? Yeah, I would just say to let go and to take that leap of faith. You don't know what you don't know. And if you don't walk through that door or that window, then that's not going to be an option moving forward. And I do think that's what showing up for the climb is about. You may fail and you may fail royally and you may think that was the worst decision ever. And I have definitely been there, but I haven't ever regretted trying. And, you know, I, prior to this whole uh, job, my husband really wanted to take our kids and travel for a year. And I was like, Mm. we can't educate them. We can't afford it. We can't, we can't, I had a lot of can'ts in that space. (laughs) I love the shoulds and the can'ts. Yeah. Right. There were a lot of reasons why that was like not a good idea. (laughs) Um, But we just started to piece it through one piece at a moment. Like, okay, well, what does this mean for schooling? And what does this mean for finances? And what does this mean for my job? And what does this mean? It was the best decision we ever made. And Mm. I think that that helped me to let go Mm-hmm. And say, okay, we'll figure it out. And I, you know, people ask me, well, what am I doing next? I'm like, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. And mm-hmm. it's because I don't know what doors and windows will open. And that feels really okay. So I would say, don't plan, don't worry about it, don't try to map it out because life is not very mappable. <laughs> you try and it's hard. Yes. But <laughs> it isn't. But just know what your true north is mm-hmm. and what ask yourself, what do you do where you totally lose track of time? Mm. You are losing track of time. I mean, I lose track of time talking policy on zoom. Clearly <laughs> like there's Ooh, some man. that likes it. So. Foreplay. Let's talk policy. <laughs> Let's talk about it. It's super interesting. So like I, yeah. I, I leave a day, I leave a 15 hour day energized. And so therefore mm. it's something that makes, it's clearly something that is inherent in me 
Yeah. And therefore it's not work. It's, um, it's, it's who I am and that's okay. I love that. I want to talk a little bit about working with women and competition, right? Um, Being a physician, it's obviously competitive to even get to be a physician. It's a difficult road, but talk to me a little bit about uh, a female colleague or someone that you've worked with where you're initially like, "Hmm, I don't know if she's going to be good or working together. And then you end up really getting to know her. um, If there's been an experience like this in your life, how has connecting with other women changed you to achieve your goals or be who the Anne is today? Yeah, there's two women that I definitely have to say in that category. So one is Dr. Megan Lindstrom. So we both started in our group at the hospital I work at three days apart. We basically started together. But when we were applying to work in Alaska, we were like the only two women applying. So people confused us all the time. And so I'd be like, nope. That's so you're the Megan. woman. <laughs> right. You're a woman. Like you must be the same person. And I'd be like, no, that's Megan. That's this person. I could tell, I could like tell you her whole resume before I even met her because people confused us so often. And we both started together. We were the two first women in our group. So there were no other women. There were a lot of assumptions made, continue to be made. People confused us left and right. She's blonde hair. I have brown hair. There's so many things that are different. I mean, we are female and we are the same, but that's about (laughs) it. Like, let me just tell you, I am not Miss Alaska. She was Miss Alaska. (laughs) Well, that's kind of a compliment. (laughs) I took it as a compliment. I was not, I was not uh, concerned about being confused with her, except we just don't look anything alike. But besides that, uh, that's fine. (laughs) So she, I was like, I'm never going to keep up with this woman. Like, she, and she had her, I came up here with two little kids and a house that got foreclosed and my world was a disaster. And she was like, you know, went out and socialized with her friends and partied the night before we all got together. And I was like, I saw her with her, um, her leopard print shoes on that first day when Uh-oh. I met her. And Watch I out. Like, this <laughs> this woman is not my, my, my person. We do not see eye to eye. And man, she has been, mm. she's been my best friend throughout all this time in the ED. Now we have a bunch of women who work in our group, but you know what? She got pregnant. Our group called it her condition. I'm like, that's actually a pregnancy. It's not a condition. <laughs> <laughs> like, but we supported each other through those times. And, um, the group is really, they're a great group. They're just, they just had not had women in their group. So it was just a different balance, uh, space. And then the other person I'd have to call out is, uh, Heidi Hedberg, our director of public health. So, uh, she's kind of the yin to my yang. I'm a big picture. She's a very directive person. We didn't know each other super well before this job. And I remember she was like, we should do this, this, and this. And I was like, I am not okay with that. And I learned early on that I just needed to tell her what I thought and she took it well. And she's like, okay, well, we won't do that. Let's do this and this and this. And I'm like, okay, let's go for that. And she, it's been her and I together. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, she's the director of public health. And then I am the chief medical officer that kind of oversees her, but then works across departments. Um, And her, her focus on, she always says, you know, you got to put yourself first and your family first work will come second, but this woman is the hardest working woman you will ever get Mm -hmm. the opportunity to meet. And so, um, her ability to balance family life, uh, for her faith and work and work super hard has been inspiring. And, uh, but both of those two, I I initially was like, I don't know how this is going to go. Yeah. Both have been amazing. I love asking that question because I think so many of us as women, like we do judge from afar. You're like, Oh, Oh, leopard shoes, never going to like her. And then they end up being your best friend. I think a lot of, uh, I I ask that question about women, especially in the theme of women game changers, because um, some of the best connections and the the best spirit or the best work comes out of collaboration, collaboration with women and collaborating with other women. So thank you. Hopefully we give them a shout out today. 
<laughs> yeah. I also think that like when things get really hard and you have to dig deep, mm-hmm. that is where those female connections have been the most helpful to me because they're trying to balance their kids and their husband and their other people's perceptions of them and and interactions plus that work connection. So I've just been really grateful for those friendships and colleagues through this. Absolutely. I think there's nothing like basically being able to cry or be vulnerable with someone else. And they really understand where you've been and walked in your leopard shoes. Yeah. (laughs) When you felt stuck in your life or career, what are some strategies that you've adopted or learned to adopt to kind of get yourself out of the, the muck? Yeah, I think there's small ones and big ones. I think sometimes just turning off and getting out can make mm. a big difference. So sometimes just going for a run, I'm like, oh, that was the solution to that problem. That I was easy. I would have done that earlier. <laughs> like, why did I not? I should have done that a long time ago. Mm-hmm. So sometimes just stopping and 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 moving away, I think is one. Two, sometimes talking about it with trusted people and, and knowing that you can just randomly brainstorm to how you're going to get unstuck from a problem. And so I think that that has been a lot of kind of those most trusted voices during the pandemic that have been used like, okay, what are we, here's the goal, here are limitations. How do we get there? And being able to get unstuck from that space. Sometimes I think it's again, having people totally outside of it to be able to talk through things and to say like, you know, from your perspective, like this is, I'm struggling with this or this, or what's that perspective? I have a super close friend, uh, who, I don't work with professionally very much, um, but she, I mean, she's a physician, but I don't work with her. She's just a different specialty um, in the same way, but she's just a really great grounding source to be like, I'm like, I'm trying to balance friends and family and, and all of this. And, and what does that look like? But the last thing I would say is just sometimes letting go. Um, you know, I, I think if you're having a hard time making a decision, I remind myself there's no wrong decision if that's the case. And so I should not fret about it. I should just let it go. And then two acknowledging you can't do everything. And I know we say that, but it's really hard to do. (laughs) And I mean, I was just fretting today about like, do I go to this conference or do I welcome my daughter off at Denali who probably just summited yesterday and I really want to see her. And so like, I don't know what to do. And that's Denali Denali always wins. (laughs) (laughs) It's, but it's like, how do I balance these, these challenges in this space? So sometimes just kind of stepping away or another friend of mine, he told me once when I was really struggling with that space is which one are you going to be, no, your absence is going to be noticed more. Yeah. Um, and I find that sometimes that's a really helpful lens to apply to a stuck situation. Uh-huh. Is my kid going to notice my absence more or is that work meeting going to notice my absence more? And that I think can sometimes help me unstick a problem that I feel stuck on. That's really interesting because I'm thinking through that a little bit. I also think it comes down to as leaders, especially as women, um, when you're on your kind of sweet spot of your career and you have done a lot, right? So right after the pandemic or as we're kind of moving to phase three, phase four, you know, is there someone that you're mentoring yourself? Like, who are you teaching to be the and? What are you sharing um, with the next 20-something, 30-something woman that's coming up? And as I'm mid-40s now, I'm thinking a lot about the legacy that I want to leave um, no matter where. I go in my career and the pivot. So I'm curious to you um, to ask you, you know, what advice would you give to someone that you're mentoring or to our listeners or to your younger self about how to be a game changer or how to learn or how to, um, you know, really move through your career and what to look for, right? And what mentors um, can contribute to your life and, or do you want to be a mentor? So kind of a jumbled up of questions, but 
you know, what advice would you give to someone that you're mentoring or someone that's coming in and being mentored for you? Yeah, it's a great question. I do think that that mentorship is critical. It's been critical for me to be in this position. It continues to be. Um, and I, I try to do it uh, in different ways. It, it can be hard though to always know how to connect, what people need. You know, a couple of different things. I a gr- another physician had asked me years ago to be a part of a mentor group. Um, three guys and me it was fascinating how different our priorities yeah. were, and uh, I was like, "Wow, three guys wait. and me, okay." <laughs> they definitely see the world. Like it was just yeah. interesting. Like, like what do you want? You know, for to be on your tombstone? You know, they all talked about like their commitment to family. And I'm like, well, then why are you working so much? You should be stay at home. Like versus for me, like work was on there and family was on there. Like, I'm like, I'm spending time on both of those things, but work was for granted for them versus family was like the stretch that they needed to like put into versus family for me was more the for granted and work was the stretch just by society. So it was interesting. But I think one thing that I really learned from them was that if you want something in life or you're interested in something for life, you have to verbalize it. You have to ask for it. And I, I think even in this job now, part of how I have it is the person who was my predecessor. I just, you know, I got to see him and really respected him. And I was in Juno. I was like, Hey, if you have a chance, I'd love to grab a cup of coffee with you. Started to get to know him. You know what I made a come? And I was like, someday when I grow up, I want to be like you. <laughs> I, you're really kind on the people, but hard on the issues. And I didn't mean like, I want your job. I just yeah. really admired many things that he did in that space. And ultimately when he was asked to take his dream job, he asked if I would take this job. And I joked that I was like, no, I meant later not now, but <laughs> And that was, you know, pre-pandemic before all of this started. And he's continued to be an amazing mentor. So I'm, I am shocked throughout my career, how much, if you just reach out to someone and say, I want to talk to you, I'm just interested in your perspective. And you let people know what you're interested in, mm-hmm. how oftentimes they become some of your best allies, advocates, and mentors without yeah. even thinking about it. So but how do you do that though? I mean, I think, I think back to my, maybe this is different for you, but like, in my twenties, I'm coming into healthcare, right. And I'm starting to manage physicians. I was 21 years old when I was managing physicians. Like it was crazy. And then in my thirties, it's like, okay, I'm hitting my stride. And then I'm getting my promotions and moving up the ladder. And it's like, the more I moved up the ladder, the less I seem to ask for help. How do you even get comfortable with asking or putting yourself out there and asking for help? Do you think it's a learned behavior? Do you think it's, um, just something you need to take a risk on. Like for those people who are listening, they're like, that sounds great. Anne and Hannah, that sounds great to put yourself out there, but how, how do you do that? How do you get feeling comfortable with that? Yeah. You know, and and maybe I should ask for help more often, but I don't usually ask for help. Usually what I ask for is a connection because when I get an email saying, will you mentor me? I'm like, I don't know what that's going to do. How much time is that going to be? And who are you? I'm like, Oh, (laughs) can I connect you to someone else? Like I I might, I'll probably fail you. So I'm not sure I want to be able to, Yeah. if someone says, Hey, I would love to grab coffee with you and Mm -hmm. hear about your perspective. I'm like, sure. Coffee sounds great. Like (laughs) sounds awesome. And it's much easier. And then I can see if that's a good connection or not. Yes. And the same has happened for me. Like, I mean, like Twitter is kind of amazing that way. I'm not a big tweeter, Twitter person. I I became more so during the pandemic, just with education, but you know, for example, there is a woman, she's an ER doc. She's very prolific, prolific in her work. And she's, she just does amazing stuff. So I DM'd her and I just said, Hey, I know we're both going to be at this conference because we're both emergency medicine physicians. 
do you have time for coffee? Like, I would love to hear more about your space. And this was before I took this job. It was like the best coffee session ever. And since then we've stayed in touch. And then throughout the pandemic, she was sending me things. I was sending her things. We were able, and then I was like, Hey, I saw that you did this like leadership Institute. Was that useful? Was that not? And so I wouldn't say I ever went to her as like, Hey, would you be my mentor? But I was like, I want to know more about your world. And she wants to know more about my world and we've been able to support each other. So that's how I, and that's what I continue to do. If there's someone who interests you with or without your field, if you're going to be in their town or you're going to be at a conference together, see if they want to grab a glass of wine or a cup of coffee or go for a walk. Um, and they can say no. Um, but I'm shocked at how many times people say yes and how far that can take you. I love that. I love like not just saying I need help, but saying I'm interested in you. People like to talk about themselves as well and they want to share and they want to feel like someone's interested in them. So I love that. And with all the things that you've accomplished, you're a physician, you work in the ED, you've been the chief medical officer, like you climbed mountains. I mean, you've traveled. What is next on your list? What do you hope to accomplish? And I know you have something because you're like me. So what do you hope to accomplish in your life? Like you die, you know, next year. What do you have to do before now and next year? <laughs> go, just get Go, go. <laughs> Time to go. Yeah, it's hard. Like I, like I said earlier, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. Mm-hmm. I feel passionate about making systems of healthcare better. That's really hard in this country. And the more I've done it, the more, the harder it becomes. And yeah. I see about that space. I will be serving as the ASHO, so the Association of State and Territorial Health Officials, so kind of people in my role, the president for the next year, uh, starting in September. And so I'll have a much more national focus. And so my national focus for the next year is to create a better connection between healthcare and public health for key elements of data. Mm. So what ways can we share information between the two? Because otherwise, if you just worry about Grant funding and CDC, it's like budgetary dust in the healthcare sector industry. It's never going to get us anywhere. So I think to have any sort of meaningful transformation, we've got to have better data sharing between those two. So that is kind of an immediate goal in the next year in that space. A bigger part of that is to build better bridges between public health and healthcare. Um, Mm -hmm. As you mentioned, there's so much outside of kind of traditional healthcare that leads to our health. Um, And I think better connection and partnership between that. I think larger than that, um, you know, I mentioned earlier in the podcast, like I was an inorganic chemistry and fine arts um, minor. I have been reflecting on how I miss the art side, honestly, of my life and world and want to lean more into the stories that Mm -hmm. are humanity. We, I think we've lost some of the humanity in healthcare and in public health. We talk about data and we talk about numbers, but we as humans learn from stories and we learn from compassion and we learn from connection. And so I would like to, I have not pulled out that side of me in a long time. And I would like to, at some point, it might not happen in the year before I die here, but uh, in the larger <laughs> picture, <laughs> uh, pull out more of that, the the storytelling and artistic side to bring into the story and compassion of why why healthcare transformation is needed. This isn't just about money and dollars, and it's not just about sad stories about life. This is about the essence of who we are as people and what sort of uh, future we want to choose for each other and for ourselves. And you couldn't be in a better place than Alaska for that, because I think, you know, with the native population and, you know, the veterans population and just so it's a melting pot of all these different people from around the world, around the globe, just different social stratas. Um, I can see you doing something like that. That could be really exciting. So can't wait to see what you're going to do next. 
Yeah. I think one of my favorite headlines during the pandemic was an article that said Alaska, Alaska's response to the pandemic, a race against time and history. And um, I loved how it brought in the history of the 1918 pandemic, the trauma associated with that, and how the current response was really also built on, you know, a hundred years of reflecting on a previous challenge in healthcare response. And I think we need to do more to tie in that history to be able to um, remember what has happened and be able to create a system and, and a path forward. Yeah, and not make the same mistakes as before. I mean, that's what history is about, right? To learn from previous mistakes, learnings, key learnings, and then bring that forward because that's how we got the vaccine. How do you think we've got, gotten these vaccines as well? Yeah, you build on it. But then also remembering how much of this is just human. Um, yeah. You know, like I reread The Great Influenza twice during the pandemic or The Plague. And I was like, yeah. I feel like I'm reading modern history. <laughs> this yeah. is like real time. We're pretty very, similar. Pretty yeah. similar. We're pretty human despite <laughs> the century. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Um, so the next part is my favorite part of the podcast. I'm going to ask you some fun and food for thought questions. Tell me when you're ready. Go for it. <laughs> if you entered a talent show downtown Anchorage, what would your act be in front of the entire city? <laughs> Ooh, I think I would be very nervous and outside my comfort zone uh, for, for acting. And that's you want to enact your creative side. So here it is. Yeah. I think it would be putting together like a fun mural in, in, Ooh. I've always loved kind of like big pictures and big yeah. art. And so I would, I would have kind of the pieces together to do like a big um, collage mural expressing something about where, about what makes us healthy and well in front of the audience. That's beautiful. That sounds amazing. Why don't you do it? It's time. <laughs> um, this one's a little bit more reflective in nature. If you knew that you could not fail, what leap of faith would you take? I could not fail at all. And yeah. that, yeah. Well, that would be easy. I would, I would recreate our healthcare system. Uh, <laughs> but I think that there's always a failure in that. I don't think that. I mean, I think that healthcare ultimately has to deal with disease and illness and sickness, and so therefore, it will always feel like failure to some, mm-hmm. um, because it involves a part of the life experience that we don't want to acknowledge, and mm-hmm. that has been as true as um, the beginning of time in mm-hmm. that space. But I do think that. Uh, the way that we currently structure our health. There's a great quote by Tulguadi and he talks about how life expectancy really increased by the basics of, of public health, water, sewer, and then we saw a big life expectancy increase. And then the second big life expectancy increase that we saw came from diagnostic medicine, like mm. you've got cancer, here's an antibiotic, here's a vaccine, kind of those treatments. And he really argues that the third big life expectancy increase will come from systems of healthcare and the way that we put those together. And I think we see that in the United States with decreasing life expectancy despite significant increase in spending compared to many of our members. So we're getting less and less for more and more that we spend because the way that our system is put together. And so mm-hmm. it feels like kayaking upstream across a river that's just getting faster and faster. And so um, we keep trying to do these eddies around to try to kind of swim upstream yeah. in that space. But I, I would... I would want, and I don't have a perfect answer of what that healthcare system would look like. Mm-hmm. I just know that we are falling further and further behind. Yeah, falling short. Well, thank you for that answer. It's very honest and very um, applicable. What we're dealing with today, 
I want to thank you for our conversation. I really appreciate getting to know you more, um, the real Anne behind uh, the, the title, right? And hearing a little bit more about what you're doing, uh, your passion for public health and mental health and just the holistic health uh, that we're searching for and that our healthcare system needs so desperately to find and have um, is really exciting. Uh, thank you so much for being a women game changer in the healthcare industry and for all the work that you and your team in Alaska have done to keep the Alaskans and our country safe. So thank you so much, my friend, for being here with me today um, and looking forward to hearing more about what you're going to do in the future uh, with healthcare and your mural downtown. <laughs> well, it's been an honor and thanks for raising these different voices and conversations because it is in that community and that conversation that really affects change. Wow, what a powerful interview today with um, Dr. Ann Zink, Chief Medical Officer for the state of Alaska. Uh, she talked a lot today about burnout and the public health crisis and the systemic crisis of workforce burnout and really identified, you know, that there are two strong approach to this solution is really around systemic streamlining internal processes, perhaps rotating shifts with employees, as well as a public health crisis of, you know, creating that awareness and space around burnout um, and information overload, right? Uh, the public has been um, inundated with information around COVID and everyone's just having so much change fatigue and burnout. So she had some great things to say today. The other thing that was a huge takeaway was just managing up other women and the connection of, you know, building those bridges with other women that you're working with instead of increasing that sense of competition that we've all faced at one time in our career. So um, such a lovely conversation today. Uh, for more information on Dr. Ann Zink, please visit her on LinkedIn, www.linkedin.com forward slash Ann Zink. Thank you for joining us on the She Burns podcast. We are so grateful for your time, energy, and support. For more tips, resources, and tools on how to burn bright, please visit us at sheshatters.com or on Instagram at sheshattersllc. LLC.